Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Brothers Echo Radio. You already know I'm your girl, Simone, and we are live in color. We are live. I'm going to have a very, very special guest today. Um, I'm super excited, so I'm not going to hold anything back, but I, w- I would love for you to introduce yourself, ma'am. So go ahead and let the world know who are you? Who is on Brothers Echo today? I love it. So my birth name is Pakisha Monet Hughley, but currently I go by Monet. I'm mm-hmm. branding myself as Pete Monet. And so the idea of that is just to say, hey, I am new and improved, you know, not that I'm trying to forget anything, but I literally chose to shift the way that I introduce myself to people as a representation of the, of the transformation that has taken place in my life. I am a a coach. I am a mother of four. I'm an advocate for, for mental health, uh, self-care, you know, making self a priority. I, I'm a voice more than anything. I'm aware that I have the boldness and the confidence to say some things and stand up and say some things and, uh, that need to sh- have light shed on it. And, and that's what I'm hoping to do. Um, I kind of don't get into titles too much. I, I love to just be in action and making a, a difference. Awesome. Yes, ma'am. You talked about advocate. You use that word quite a bit. So we're going to really dig deep into the genesis of that. Right. Okay. But first, okay. So tell me, I like to know where people are from. Where are you, where are you from? I know I should have told that. Right. I'm from Griffin, Georgia. Originally is where okay. I'm from. I still reside in Georgia, but in a town about an hour, 15 minutes away from Griffin called Conyers. I'm familiar with that. Okay. So I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, Duval County. Okay. So you're not too <laughs> far. Not too well, far. well, we're about five and a half hours. My daughter was actually just stationed in Jacksonville, so about five and a half hours away. Awesome! awesome. I, can do the, I can do the Duval slide though, just so you, you know. What you talk about? <laughs> Definitely got to get into that, but I really want to jump into your story. Um, yes, ma'am. So you're prior Navy. Yes. And so you talked about your journey being an advocate. So. Tell me about tell me about your Navy experience and why or how did you start to learn? How did you become who you are today? Let's get into the genesis of you. I joined the Navy in 2000. I can't say that was my first decision. I was a single mom. I had a child at 17. And ideally, I just wanted to go and try to give her a better life. So joined the Navy without thinking too much about it. Got in the first year. Everything was pretty good, you know got in my first duty station, no issues with that. And, and I started to, although that wasn't my first decision, I started to really embrace the fact that this was the decision that I had made and mm-hmm. began to be proud of the fact that I made the decision. Yeah. But in 2001, and, and I did a joint command. So I worked at Fort Meade, Maryland, starting out. Um, but I worked with civilians in every branch of the service. So I had a mixture of different um, upper military and higher ranking uh, civilians around me but right around 2001 we had a new supervisor to come in uh, over the organization where I worked he was an 05 in the in the navy but he didn't have long before time for him to retire so he was actually already processing to shift over and take a civilian job within the national security agency um, this guy came in you heard a lot of talk about him before he came, how sharp he was and how he was going to make such a difference and such an impact on things. And so we were all looking forward to him coming. We knew, you know, that that change, that shift needed to happen. And so my hopes were up as with everyone else. 
uh, he, he arrived to the office and maybe had been in the office about a good four to six months. Traveling back and forth. I was his assistant. So <sighs> nothing at all in his actions, except for a little underlying, I saw anger issues that would show up, but nothing to suggest that I should be concerned about him. On my 21st birthday or, or some time after, they did a big event for me in the office. He was actually TDY to Japan, I think it was at the time. And so he missed that. And when he came back from that TDY, he stopped by my desk one day and he said, listen, I missed your party. Sorry, I wasn't here. I laughed it off. He laughed it off. No big deal. Within some days of that, one day he pulled me into his office. It was after, you know, towards the end of the day, pulled me into his office and basically said he wanted to talk with me about some things or what have you. Nothing outside of the norm. And once he, once the door was closed, which again, I wasn't nervous about that because that was kind of a, a norm. Once the door was actually closed, he proceeded to again apologize that he had not been a part of my party. And he asked me, was there a really nice gift that I had seen anywhere that I wanted? Me still not thinking anything. I said, yeah, I saw something at the mall the other day. I said, but I don't need anything, you know? Um, and I laughed it off. He laughed and he proceeded to talk about work. After the work conversation, he circled back around and said, but I really, really want to get you a really nice special gift, but don't worry about the price of the gift. Something about him kind of stressing it let me know that he was, it was shifting a little bit. But he proceeded to stand up in the room as if he was about to walk me out. Like he, I kind of stood up, he stood up. And so I thought he was just going to walk me towards the door, but he ended up uh, grabbing me and just kind of like holding me with all of his force. Uh, he began to force his tongue down my throat his hands down into my underclothes and started to fumble um, with my body uh, in areas where he shouldn't have done that. Uh, obviously it was hard for me to get away from him, big guy, and I couldn't tussle away from him. And I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even think to scream or anything. I think I was just in shock more than anything because of how quickly that had turned. The only thing I could think of was to bite and the whole time he had his, tongue in my mouth or was trying to force it in my mouth and so I, I bit his tongue mm -hmm. and was able to kind of you know pull away from him and get out of the room and, and and ran away immediately when I ran out of the office where there was no one actually in the office but when I got out into the hallway I saw a first class petty officer who I worked with wasn't in that organization but I worked with this um E6 I was an E3 I think at the time maybe or E4 Immediately told them what happened and the response from, and this was a lady, and the response from her was, you don't want to tell this to anyone, just make sure you stay out of his way. Needless to say, experiencing what I had just experienced with him, and then I'm speaking with a woman that previously I thought to be this upper, you know, ranking someone that I could go to said to me, don't say anything. Don't say anything, just stay away from him. I didn't wanna accept that right away, but I respected her, you know? So I just kinda, I just, I went home with it. I didn't 
think anything else about it. I tried to kind of like push it out of my head or whatever, but I couldn't, I couldn't really push it off. So I, I made an attempt to speak with a civilian about it. Um, this was a male, which, you know, older male as well, but someone that I, again, had respect for that I, in the past knew, took care of things or issues. And so when I reported it to him, he actually literally said the same thing. He said, because of his position and because of where he's coming from, I don't think that's something that you're gonna want to report. And once again, just do your best to stay away and out of closed you know, environments with this individual. So let me, let me cut you, I'm gonna ask you this question. So when this happened to you, did you think to call home? Did you have anyone to talk to, a mom, a dad, a pastor, anybody to confide in? I didn't, I, I'm sure I could have confided in someone, but I think that I didn't, I just, I honestly don't know why in that moment I didn't call home and share that with anyone, more so just assuming and believing, stay out of his way. This won't happen again. It won't be a big issue. Yeah. Another thing too, my, my mother is the type of mom that when you let her know something is going on or somebody has hurt you, it's a good thing that she just kind of, she'll shake it up. She wants to make sure people know like, this is a problem. This is an issue. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think subconsciously, subconsciously, I was just thinking like, if I tell her, she makes a, you know, reaches out or makes a to do about it. What is that going to be like for me? I'm up here. I don't have, she's not here. My family is not here. Something very, something was very frightening to me about the fact that two individuals said, don't tell anybody because it's going to be worse for you. It was something about that worse for you thing that just was like, not only did it stick in my head about not telling anyone as far as in the organization, but just speaking about it in, in general. For sure. Was kind of what I took from that. For sure. Hey, hey, everybody. Um, at the beginning of this video, I'm going to put a disclaimer out, but I want to make sure I say it now. This is going to be a very sensitive topic. So um, any small children in the room in a car with you, you know, you might want to go ahead and pause this episode for later because we're going to really dive into some very sensitive areas. All right. I'm going to cut you off, but I do want you for the listeners who are not familiar with Department of Defense and the military. You said a joint command. Just break that down briefly. So joint command is where you're going to have every more than just one branch of the service. I was stationed at Fort Meade, but uh, there was Air Force, Marine, Army, and Navy, uh, as well as being that it was the uh, Department of Defense or, or National Security Agency, there were civilians as well. So basically what that looks like is, I, where it's normal, you'd have all military kind of in your chain of command. That chain of command was a mix of different armed forces as well as civilians. Uh, to be that people that you would actually have to report to. That's right. That's right. Yes, ma'am. So let's go back to uh, where we left off. So two people that you respected pretty much said, hey, stay out of his way. So our things will get worse for you. So I understand why you didn't go home or you didn't tell anyone because that worse. And then you're still fairly yes. new, young. So uh, right. yeah. yeah. So what happened? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, you know what, there, there were, I did reach, I had a cousin actually that was serving at the time as well in the armed forces. I reached out to her. I did reach out to, to the, the cousin. She's only a year older than me. I shared with her what happened. 
And then she began to share stories to, with me about what some people she's been stationed with has experienced. And for the most part, she didn't say it'll be worse, but she also didn't say report it, more so just kind of added to it by sharing stories to say, yeah, this happens. She was stationed in Italy at the time, but like, yeah, this happens because so-and-so, so-and-so. So that was an, also an addition to that as well. Sure. So I can only imagine in your mindset, being fairly new, hey, you probably ask yourself, is this normal? Is this supposed to happen, right? Absolutely. I asked myself if, if that was normal, but I knew that it wasn't. I, I felt exactly. that it wasn't. I was. I started strategizing from the moment that I was trying to figure out how I was going to get out of his office when he was grabbing onto me, touching me, uh, trying to kiss me, all that was going on. I immediately started in my mind to think, how am I going to move next? Sure. And, and that's from that moment of how am I going to move next? What am I going to do? That began to stay with me and it started to get stronger and stronger. Um, so by the time I spoke with those individuals, plus the cousin, it was okay. Since you have to stay away from him, how are you going to move? What is that going to look like? That wasn't the only, that was the, that was the only time. I think it was an additional time where he grabbed me, like came in the office and grabbed me while the lights were off. But what proceeded to happen from that day forward was him coming up to my desk, showing me images of people, you know, having sex, saying, you know, this is what I want to do to you. Mm -hmm. um, coming up to the desk saying, you know, I heard you, you know, went home for, you know, vacation. Do you have any pictures of yourself where you're not fully dressed or touching you know, the, the whole, what you always see that we're working on something, but you need to be excessively close to me while you're looking at my computer screen. Uh, it, it started to be where he would tech, reach out, call my phone, like on the weekends. He would do things like if he was going TDY, which he was often going TDY. So of course he'd have to head to the airport and he'd come to my desk and say, you know, I want you to take me to the airport. Mm -hmm. We're everyone that could hear this going on knew that was a violation. Sure, he's an 05 transitioning out to be, even if he retired and still became a GS 15 or whatever that was going to be, the rule is still the same. I'm an E4, you are our ranks are completely different. So, asking me to take you to the airport. And then you proceed to say things like, but I want you, to, can you keep my car for the weekend? Because I want you to also come back and pick me up. So maybe we can stop by a hotel room. Like it's, it didn't stop. It was literally never a day where he would just say of just a regular good morning. Uh, see you at the meeting. It was always something that he was putting, adding to just a regular day-to-day -day conversations. Sure. And then it started to shift to, is that a new lipstick that you have on? Um, for some reason, your lips look more luscious today than they did, you know, last week. Totally same lipstick or whatever, but just something to poke about. Oh, your uniform. I like how your uniform is fitting, you know, on your body. Did you tailor it down? Like, psychologically, while obviously I was trying to avoid him and I, so I ignored him. I started to ignore him. I never responded to any of this, but 
it was started to become harder for me to figure out how I was going to do what everyone had said to do. And that was just avoid him. Sure. It seems like he was just right there, you know, and, um, he'd show anger outbursts in the office sometimes like if we would do like office outing or lunching or something like that mm-hmm. like he loudly one day got upset because he wanted like us to ride to, together he wanted and, and he, this is chiefs now let me let you know this chain of command so the lowest ranking person was me an e4 everyone else was an e7 or directly in that office e7 e8 and e9 or above sure he's loud we're in cubicles so you can hear him you say things like well if if i can't ride in the car with hugley i'm just not going to the meeting like a like a kid or something almost but no one would say anything um he'd go take tdy trips all over wherever he would have to go there was never a time that he would go tdy and come back and there not be a gift on my desk with his name on it and where my desk was positioned, everyone that walked through the door would have to see my desk. So people saw this, like in the moment, I think I just knew I was alone. I felt that I was alone. I subconsciously was thinking like, does someone else see this? Wanting to say, hey, do you guys see this? But still having that whole, don't say nothing. Just if no one says anything to you, then second guessing, like, do they see it? They have to see it. Well, you know what? If they're not saying anything, maybe they're not seeing it. Sure. But then what added to that was also the fear started to come that if they see it and if they're hearing it, are they not saying anything because he really is this powerful of a person and they're afraid. So that realization scared me even more, you know, so it really became about just let me do my job. Let me not do anything to kind of rub him the wrong way or whatever. So I can get out of out of this environment. Um, I that continued to go on a lot of what I'm telling you, um, cornering me off. Oh, I just want you. I just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my life, but you know, it really, you know, makes me upset that I have, you know, so much. I'm so successful, and you know, I'm so powerful, but you know, I don't have that thing that you have in you. You, you you walk around with this, he call it bubbly kind of way. And this conversation, this would come up a lot where he was comparing his power, his money, but his unhappiness. But I was this E4 that obviously, you know, we don't make a lot of money as E4s, but yet you're so optimistic about life. And maybe even a part of that too was because he knows he was doing the things he was doing to me and he know I was uncomfortable, but I still kind of show more of a positive or optimistic way of being. Cause I didn't walk around moping, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't let him feel like what he was doing was happy. I just kind of was yeah. more quiet and still, but still when I would go out of the office and I was around people, I was still talking and upbeat and just trying to live life, you know? And, and a lot of people knew me around that organization because of that. You know, I was the individual that, you know, was always trying to make someone smile, laugh, encourage other people, whatever. So the conversation would always go around 
about that because you didn't see a lot of that in you saw more seriousness you're talking about yeah yeah so and he seemed to be based on his conversation that seemed to be what he was drawn to um just my vibrancy but something happened youthfulness yeah but something happened you decided to report it i did i did I, but I didn't report it to anyone. I, this is what happened. I had stopped going home. I used to go home just about every two months when I was stationed in Maryland, rather flying, driving or whatever. I never kept leave on the books, but I was always going home. And so that pattern started to change. It, it, there, went, there was about a four month, six month time period where I just didn't go home. And so, and I started to, I guess, be different and whatever was happening, my mom noticed it. She ended up one night we were on the phone talking and I, I can't re remember what we were talking about, but what she said to me is something about you is not the same. And she said, what are you, what are you going through and what are you dealing with up there? And I laughed it off. We used to be really good at covering up things behind a laugh and a smile. And she said, no, it's something, you know, I know you don't want to tell me. And she just kept digging and digging. And so I ended up telling her. I had suppressed that for so long. I said, I think I'm being sexually harassed. Literally, like almost as, as if I second guessed it. And she said, you think you're being sex sexually harassed? She was like, well, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, this supervisor just says these things to me, which is what I just told you uh, before. I said, he's just kind of talking, you know, about my clothes, my shape, just different stuff and just real vague. And she just kept digging. And I finally told her the front about the first incident. And she she listened and she said that, you know, you can't allow that to just, you know, go. You can't let that go. You have to report that. And I said, I can't. I said, the people have told me if I report it, this is what's gonna happen. So what actually happened is the next morning, I woke up to knocks on the door from one of the female chiefs in my chain of command because my mom actually reported it to the Red Cross. She called the Red Cross and reported uh, that she was concerned about me and that she felt like I was too afraid to open up, you know, and report what was happening. And, and she just wanted me to get help. She said she couldn't get to me and she wanted someone to be there for me. Okay. So that day, that morning, I, I, I remember it like yesterday, it was like about five or six in the morning. The chief came in and I remember feeling very comforted by her because, she, and she also had the MPs actually were with her as well. She grabbed me, she hugged me and she said, you can tell me what's going on. But something about that was just, because she had been in the office to hear the things he would say, to see that he was bringing me gifts when he was not supposed to, it was comforting that I guess it was out more so than anything. So I did let her console me at the time. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, but you kind of knew this. But she proceeded to say, you know what? We're going to get you taken care of. We're going to get you the help you need. And all whatever the processes were supposed to be. And it's like that day moved along so quickly. It, I went from you know letting her, sharing with her what had occurred to, I guess she spoke to whomever, but it, within that day was when I ended up in the EEO office. 
at National Security Agency. Um, again, as I know she knew what had been going on, still she just assured me that I was gonna be taken care of. So I'm focused more on the fact that I'm gonna be taken care of now. When I went to the EEO office, I got there. There were two males, two white guys in suits. I was in a chair. They both were standing up over me and they said, okay, tell us what happened, you know? It was so, just that whole nonchalant, it was like a nonchalant kind of. And they okay. were EEO? They were EEO specialists, those two guys? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Well, so well let's, let's say this. I was told that it was EEO. Okay, okay, because I'm prior EEO and I'm thinking to myself, that's not how we handle business, so. Go ahead. I, when I, it was two males, there was not a female in sight. The chief that actually had escorted me there, she kind of stayed out and waited on me. They didn't, they weren't sitting down. They were standing up over me saying, okay, tell us what happened. Mm -hmm. That tone alone made me feel like, okay, that, it didn't sound like already they're, they're going to believe what I'm going to say, but mm -hmm. I proceeded to share what I just shared with you. And before I could finish talking, like how you're allowing me to share, they cut me off. They cut me off and said, okay, so how much money is it that you're looking for? That was the response. And I paused just like this, cause I, did, I wasn't expecting that. But I responded and said, I wasn't looking for any money. And the one, one of the guys laughed at me and said, you know, well, I can't understand. I mean, you're saying that you know, he possibly, you know, put his, and it started to be these, you know, you're saying he possibly, you know, harassed you or possibly assaulted you or possibly, you know, the only, only reason you're coming forth and saying anything like this is because it has to be that something you want. It has to be that you want money or, or something. C completely confused, yeah. completely confused. So they talked to me like that until I was in tears. And once again, in that place of second guessing myself, like, okay, what they said to me, the first class petty officer and the civilian person who said, it's gonna be worse for you if you tell, I began to truly see that in that moment because I just shared, I experienced something. You cut me off as if it's not important. And then you, proceed to say, oh, you want money. So you're, that's not valid. You just want something and you've made up a story because you want money. Yeah. And um, as I kind of continue to cry and just say, you know, no, I just, I don't, I don't want, they kept drilling, name your price. Everybody has a price is what they said. Everybody has a price. Wow. Oof. It's okay. 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 I know what's coming back. And when I, when I said, I said, I don't want money. I said, I just, he said, well, what do you want then? I said, I just want for no one else to have to experience this. And they laughed again. So what are you, the good Samaritan? You're, you're here to, you want to save, you're going to try to save people. You know, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not normal. Like they were suggesting like money should be what will fix this. And when they said they were finished, it was like not a 
finalized and they said, we'll get paperwork to you to sign. I didn't fill out anything there or whatever. And I just kind of left. So that pushed me further into that place of fear. Yeah. Um, and then I actually started to, I, I, instead of me, <coughs> excuse me, instead of me being upset with them, believe it or not, I began to be upset with my mother because I said, you know what? If she wouldn't have said anything, then I wouldn't have had to experience this. And I could have just stayed out of his way and went on with my life. That's what I started to believe. And so I went back into that mode of just keep it to yourself. Keep, don't, don't talk about it to anybody. Um, not long after that EEO meeting, mm-hmm. matter of fact, the next day or the day after, they came, someone came to where I was, the organization where I was uh, in Phoenix and told me that I was being moved. I could no longer work where I was working and that they were going to send me to a different organization, which was back on the base of Fort Meade. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was sent into an office doing a job or, or with where they were expecting me to do a job that where no one really trained me on how to do it. So I just was thrown in there. No one directed me to counseling. No one. I had no conversations with anyone about anything in reference to that anymore until I had to go and sign the EO paperwork, which read um, that he had um, said some, they softened it to, he mistakenly said something that was like out of the way and it happened once or whatever. And honestly, by, by the, I, I looked at it and I knew it wasn't accurate, but the fear in me signed the paperwork and just went on. So once I got to that new area where I was working, everybody was very standoffish for me. I would walk in the door, people turn their head really quickly. Rumors started, you know, I, I have these, this, this, you know, I'm crazy. I am, I'm lying. You know, I just want attention. You know, she's a single mom that's struggling. So, you know, you name it. And, and people just kind of really started to distance themselves from me. And so it started to feel, I started to feel, even though I had continued to be somewhat positive, optimistic, despite what was happening, that started to leave really quickly. And mm-hmm. so I started to just feel just really depressed, dark, just down, lonely, uh, anxiety started. Sure. Panic attacks started to come because I started to think what else is going to happen? This whole scenario just went, I was told by someone who knocked at my door, hugged me that I was going to be taken care of and no one is anywhere to be found to be a support to me. So. And that's why so many people have learned through life and especially in this field, they're afraid to speak up. Yeah. They're afraid to speak up. And unfortunately I've seen it happen to people where they, they do they decide to get the strength to come and say, hey, this happened to me. Exactly. And then when they, when they say it, and the way I will always view it is this. When a person will walk into my office, I will look at them like, okay, no doubt they tried every other avenue before they came to me. Yeah. And so now you're coming to me and I'm like that last piece of help. Yes. So having that mindset, it was so important to me to be careful with that person. 
-hmm. and explain to them. That's why I, I was a bit, you saw my reaction when you said they stood over you. They do. You don't do that because right. understanding that that person is so fragile at that, at that mm -hmm. moment. Okay. First, let me let you take your time and let's just work through this whole process of what you're feeling right now. Yeah. And then whenever you're ready, let it out. Mm -hmm. And then you have no. to be honest with people, but you didn't get that. It's so it was all rushed. It was, all it was a rush, that rush feeling. It was a, you know, like kind of like, we don't really have time for this, you know, just very nonchalant, very uncomfortable. I'm sorry. They're checking the block. Like, all right, she came oh, totally. in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so you're yep. moving. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I had gotten orders. So I knew that I was going to be getting stationed in Pensacola, Florida. So that was a little bit of a, you know, joy for me because I know I'm going to be leaving this environment. You know, sure. it'll be a new beginning. Still, you're new in the military. So you just don't. My mind is not even on anything but getting to Pensacola and it being a new beginning and so I got to you know did my leave before time got to Pensacola and doing my check-in I'm proud I'm, I'm thinking I'm sharp you know and when I got to the command master chief prior to getting to the command master chief I hadn't got noticed anything off it really was still a new beginning but when I got to the command master chief no greeting, no anything, just a stare down. And when I walked in his office to say, I know who you are and what happened at Fort Meade, better stay at Fort Meade. He signed what he needed to sign and he walked off. And once again, that feeling of that fear, of that warning of, don't you tell anybody because this is gonna be worse for you. If you do, it started all over again, because that said to me, someone is obviously they, they know someone has had conversations, something is going on and, uh, but still just wanted to be positive. So get, I got there, got settled and um, I was pregnant. I found out I was pregnant when I got there. Mm -hmm. And so right off, there was not really anything. But after a while, I started to notice the whole, you're not doing things the right way. You know, you did this report and, you know, we found these errors and, you know, I'd go to kind of correct exactly what they have said to do. And then now it's something else. And it's like, you, you just saw the same thing, but previously you didn't see the issues in this before. And so it started just with little, little things like that. And, um, I started to still just decline. I was already declining and I could feel it. And obviously now I'm pregnant. It started to really like elevate. And so I, I decided, well, I just kind of started obviously going to medical. Um, and a lot of it, I was like, okay, maybe it's just that I'm pregnant. That was my answer. I'm just pregnant. And so this is what, what it is. You're feeling this way because of your pregnancy. And, um, I can't remember the, the so I started to get the suicide, have suicidal thoughts because it still felt, even though I was at a new place, it still felt like no one was for me. No one was close or would get close to me. You know, it, it still felt like, and it, and that just could have been what I was dealing with, but it felt like 
people were still short sure. with me, right? Or just kind of constantly looking for something wrong that I was doing. And um, that again, made me feel lonely. So I just was medical, medical, medical. Every time you turned around, I was just going to medical for anxiety attacks, panic attacks, you know, migraine headaches, just a number of things started to just happen. But again, I just said, it's you're pregnant. We're going to just leave it at that. And it wasn't until, I guess it just got to finally be heavy because I real when I realized like this has happened to me and no one is really going to do anything for real. Like no one is going to say anything. No one is going to protect me. I forgot to tell you previously because he, he wasn't, he, he, they, the EO informed me that this commander was reprimanded and that he's not allowed to come to Pensacola for the two years that I'll be stationed there. And he's been forced to go to Hawaii, which he was scheduled to go to Hawaii in another year anyway. But other than that, I didn't hear of anything. So it basically it started to get too heavy to just tuck back the fact that this has happened to me and someone's gotten away with it. I couldn't fake the funk anymore, basically. And my body was working against me, totally. In every aspect, my mind, my, my stump, every, my body was going crazy as what was happening. And no matter how much I wanted to keep blaming it on just being pregnant, it was like, okay, I, I know every pregnancy is different. I've had a kid before. What is this? And in talking with my mom, once again, about just kind of what I was dealing with, she said, she said, these, these are the symptoms of, and back when I had told my mom I had been harassed and she said, no, he put his hands on you. He put his hand in deep, and you've been, you've been assaulted. Yeah. Correct. And so, but they wrote it up as just harassment. But anyway, when I spoke with her, she said, I think that your, your, your mental health, you're struggling with trying to kind of hold everything in and like I said at, at the time I, I really strong on my mom I think a little bit as far as trying to do anything because for me it was like I'm in here I don't know yeah. what's going to happen let me just do these little two years I'd already made up my mind I was definitely going to get out um but anyway I ended up when I was about six months pregnant I sat in the house and I just kind of was thinking about everything, how all the chain of command had been, EO, and I let myself think about it. I hadn't allowed myself to just fully think about it. And yeah. I was sitting in that house. I had actually had an, I had an argument with the kid's dad. But after we got off the phone, I just started just thinking about like, you know what, this, this is the result of you allowing somebody to do this to you and just started to just merge it's me it's me you're the problem if you would not have been wearing your uniform so fitted he wouldn't have just everything was just and first time ever but that feeling of suicide came over me so strong yeah from me going into I remember going into the bathroom to like grab pills but was fighting it. I could feel it coming on me, but I was simultaneously like trying to fight against this feeling. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to die. I don't want to kill myself, but I do also want this pain. I want this pain to go away. And 
I just became, I panicked so much because of the many thoughts that were coming through my mind. It was excessive. And I ended up, I called, um, I think one of the, someone that was stationed with me to tell her and she called the the ambulance to come to my house and told them what was happening. And so from there I was transported to, um, it was medical, but I was still in such that space the way that I was talking and I guess being, they admitted me into uh, the mental hospital. And after getting there, here's the thing. And I've heard people say this before that have gone to the mental hospital that are in a place where they can kind of remember or, or recollect. I remember feeling so at peace. Like when I walked through the doors, I felt like I could just really let my shoulders down, right? And um, I just kind of, I just cried. I just did a lot of crying. And, you know, I made it very clear. I'm like, I don't want to die, but I don't know how to, I don't know what to do with the fact that someone has been able to do this to me and, and and he got away with it and I'm being attacked. And I'm being hurt. I, I I don't. And that was a lot of my conversations while I was there at the mental hospital. Was that? But you know they have procedures where you just got to get your medication. They draw your blood, and you know. So I was going through the motion, but I just remember just constantly like expressing like, why, why, why. And 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 after a while, even though I felt at peace being there, there was this feeling of, but I shouldn't be here just so much freaking confusion it's like like your mind is split into like six different brain minds or something and you're just you're okay you're not okay you're you you're gonna uh, to me I'm gonna push through I'm gonna put this behind me and I'll be fine okay no I'm not you know I want to see something happen to him okay I'm angry at him okay I hate him I hope all this stuff and you're doing it all by yourself I had, while I was in there, a lieutenant at NSGA Pensacola um, that was in the chain of command and a chief came to visit me. Mm -hmm. They were very adamant that, you know what, we know what you're going through. You know, we know what you've been through. You know, we're (laughs) going to make sure you get the help you need. We are going to make sure you get the help you need while you're in here. You just rest, you know, and... um, we got your back, basically. So I thought. Um, and once I got out, I was connected with a therapist um, on base, which obviously probably should have been the first move, but that's just not something I guess you you think about. I didn't think of that, you know. Um, but I got connected with this therapist. This is probably gonna make me emotional because I, I know that I I had I was covered along the way on this journey but when I walked in because I was so used to feeling like I was trying to explain or, or be enough now at this point I'm now shamed because I've got ashamed because I've been in this mental hospital and when I walked in to prepare for my intake and I started just telling her everything and and I said and I, I know I gotta get myself together you know so that I can be you know, good enough and do things the right way because I'm the problem now, right? So I'm talking as if I'm the problem. This lady looked at me with the most calm look and she said, 
there's nothing wrong with you. She said, it's being made to seem that way. She said, but what the biggest issue is, you've not been able to express how you feel without being made to feel guilty about it. And however she put it, all I could do was just cry. First to say you're not, because I really had started to believe and wonder like, is something like off with me mm -hmm. somewhere? Like, I don't know of many stories. I hadn't had an experience or heard much about things like this prior to going in, yeah. but it changes you forever, obviously. You, you, you now know when victims begin to say, even as a kid, like teenager, when I would watch things and I, stuff would happen and I'd say, why didn't they just do this? And why didn't they just do that? Well, I yeah. definitely understand that all too yeah. well now. Yeah. But this therapist clearly was put here, put there for me because it was all about getting it out. And so she ended up giving me an assignment. She said, this is what we're gonna do when you come here. I'm going to give you, she got me a journal okay. and she said, what you're going to do for the time that you're here is you're going to write everything out that you want to say, just write it. And if all you want to say that day is just nothing, or you just want to write on a piece of paper, draw on a piece of paper, just, and if you want to talk to me, we'll talk. But she, she gave me power. Mm -hmm. She, yeah. she was, I didn't see it. And at, at the time I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm thinking, I thought a therapist is supposed to be talking and, you know, I'm still like questioning, but at the same time, something about this writing is doing something for me, you know, just to go in there, just write and not try to explain myself or do any of those things. And, um, I hadn't had the baby yet. I was at about, I guess, eight, however far along I was, but I remember her saying to me, she said, I'm going to do something for you. And I said, what is that? She said, I am going to request or put in for you to have temporary orders at the recruiting station in your hometown so you can go home and be with your family to have your baby. Wow. Wow. And then she did this long, you saw, I went from the time, like from that third, whatever, I can't remember how many months, but I was there up until I had the baby. And when I was scheduled to come back, there was like a hurricane or something. And so it extended out. Being able to be home and away from all of that allowed me to really like gain, re, not regain myself totally, but I started to like see clearly, like in a set, like this has happened to me. No one did do anything about it. Yeah. But your job as you go forward, you're going to have to figure out how to advocate for you. You can't, you got to remove your energy. You can't focus so much on who did it, why they did it, what they didn't do. And all of that, you're going to have to put on, how do you recover yourself? I had no idea how I was going to do that, but I made up my mind that I was going to work really hard to put the majority of what I had in me and not outward to say, yeah, you know, this guy did this to me. And, you know, I was a victim of this. I started to begin not to say that people that do that, you know, I'm speaking against that, but some kind of way in that time of being home, I just said, if, if you're going to go forward, 
you got to focus on you. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but if you focus on you and not so much about what has happened to you and how it broke you and all of that, then some kind of way, maybe you'll get a, get be able to recover or do better. And then I had to go back. <laughs> so that was that empowering period right there, you know, a little bit of empowerment because I'm around friends, I'm around family, all of that is not happening. But when I got back um, from having uh, the baby, not long after being back, um, it was brought to my attention by someone who had been in a meeting with a portion of the chain of command that they were plotting to put me out of the Navy under, I don't know specifically the type of discharge, but the goal was to have me put out and that I wouldn't be able to get my GI Bill or be eligible for disability. I don't, yeah. Yeah. And so this young lady, uh, well, she was an E6. She pulled me to the sign in confidence and she said to me, she said, I'm a woman of God. She said, and I just, I'm not perfect, but I just don't believe in what it is that I just saw that she said is wrong. She said, and it hurt me to even know, because from what I can gather, someone has done something to you, but you are just not, you're responding the way you're really supposed to respond based on what has happened. But she said, and she just said she was disgusted just to be a part of that conversation. And she gave me, uh, she said that she would give me a form that would allow me to be able to get out of the military with an honorable discharge. And she okay. got that to me within a couple of days. Um, I filled that out and the process started for me to get out of the Navy. Um, no one, besides that conversation with that lady, like no one really ever just sat down to say, how are you feeling? I heard that you've been through some things. Is there anything I can do? Nope, I was definitely expected to just, as the people go on as if nothing had happened. And um, it's not possible. I don't know if there's any people in the world that have been able to function that way, but I, I just can't, it was, it was a very short period that it started to tear at me, trying sure. to suppress it. Sure, but something and, happened. Go ahead. I want you to share with something that happened. Once you end up getting your own investigator, you found something out about this individual. What was that? Actually, I did. I didn't get my own investigator. What happened is that, um, actually, while I was at home, it was actually while I was pregnant when I was home. Okay. During that time, I forgot the the time frame, but because yeah, because I was actually about a week out for him for him to have give birth to the baby. I was contacted by someone at the Pentagon to say that they needed to come out and just kind of ask me some more questions about the situation that had gone on. And, you know, they were going to fly to my hometown, Griffin. And I'm like, okay, here we go again. But they met me at the recruiting station. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you know, I'm in there. You know, what's interesting. I, I, I remember how when this, that time when I had that interview or that investigation, it was something about being at home that gave yeah. me a little bit more. I've been honest every time they questioned me about anything, but I remember just kind of being more like, 
because right around the corner is grandma, right around the corner is auntie or whoever. And so they're just drilling me, same questions. You know, he said that, you know, you did this and you did that and all these different things that they didn't have any proof of that was not true, twisting the story as usual, drilling me, drilling me, drilling me. And after about 30 minutes into that drilling, I call it, the male, it was a male and a female, the male ended up, he needed to use the restroom. So he got up from the table, walked off. So it was myself and the female uh, investigator that was in there. And this lady turned the recorder off. She looked at me with tears in her eyes and said to me, that she was sorry and that she feels so bad and that she hated that I was going through what I was going through confused as ever because obviously I hadn't seen that from any representative from you know NSA or anything throughout all the questioning and when I asked her why she said because we know that he did it and he confessed that he did this but you watching you be so consistent and how you've stood up and shared your story and been consistent in what happened and not backing down and even all the intimidation, like as if she was confirming to me, I know what we've done. Mm -hmm. I know what has, and she said to watch you be able to still push through and still stand on your truth has been impressive to me. And she said, I don't know who you are or what that is that you have inside of you while you're able to do that. She said, but I do want you to know that you are his 22nd victim. And of those girls, they're either in really bad shape mentally, they took the money, but what she didn't see, she said, what I see on you, I did not see with the other victims. And she said to me that she wished me well and she felt like I was going to do well as I go forward, she said, because there's something in you that is very different. And that was mind blowing to me because she said a lot there. She basically confirmed that they knew he had done it. He had confessed that he had done it. He had done it to other victims. But she also came back and empowered me. She had, she was forced to acknowledge. And she said, she said, you she told me I had ruffled. She said, you ruffle have ruffled a lot of feathers. And at the time, I couldn't think, what ruffled feathers? Now that I'm in the place that I'm in, I get it. You say no to power. You said, you, you know, you, you wouldn't hush. You kind of kept going to, I kept going to medical. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. I, I felt like it was my head or my this or whatever. But that repeated going to medical all the time, I think, was an irritation to them as well. Because maybe that was somewhat of a pattern, you know. And I, I just didn't, couldn't fake the... Again, I know some people go years and they hold things in. It clearly just wasn't meant for that to be the case for me because I could, I was trying, but it, it wouldn't. It, my body wouldn't, or my spirit, I'll say, wouldn't allow me to just accept that that was okay. Yeah. And so um, that was, that was that. And not long after that, I, I, I was preparing to, you know, be let out of the Navy because that was in 2004. And then 2005, I will tell you how I ended my, my career there, though, because it had been said, you know, now that I had the two kids, little rumors of, you know, I'm not going to be able to do certain things because I got the kids and along with all that trying to tear me down. 
And so no one thought that I was, the E5 exam had come forth. And I remember one of the, it was a senior chief or something, basically looking me in my eyes and saying, you will never be an E5. You will never be an E5 in the Navy. You know, he, he just was very nasty and nonchalant about it. But I took that exam and I, I made E5. I made E5 a few months before time for me to get out of the Navy. And still, still hurt, still in pain, but that was a bit of something for me to feel good about myself. And that said to me, you know what, despite what they're saying or have said, there's something, again, there is something in you and you gotta keep digging deep, deep researching whatever you gotta do to pull it out more and more because I felt a responsibility to go forward, keep fighting for my healing because to me, it wasn't about me, just me alone. Somebody's daughter somewhere was gonna go through something similar or somebody is gonna, I, I began to take on a responsibility early before I even started advocating. Every time I fight, I say, you gotta push. Every time I not wanna continue with therapy, I say, you gotta keep going because you may have to share this with someone else. You may have to encourage someone else. And, and, and if you push through then, and you can share your story, they'll push through. And it just began to be, that was it. I'd go, I'm physically going, but I always thought about these random other women that, I, you can't hear me? I don't know. I didn't do anything. You there? Mm-hmm. Can you hear me? I can't hear you, though. Hmm. You're muted for some reason. Let me... What about now? Nothing? I, I got you now. You got it? I got you now. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, so... No pressure. You got this. I just started to feel like it's not just me. Yeah. Maybe maybe something about knowing it was I was a 22nd victim and there was many other girls with this one person ahead put that uh, put a face to that like a lot of this is happening a lot because 22 victims for this one individual who had actually been serving for 20 or however many years that's that means if you want to do it on average every year you're doing this He's a serial offender. But mm -hmm. something you said about healing, my mother said something about this, this topic of healing. Healing takes place in the midst of pain. Have you have you noticed when you, after you have a major surgery, after mm -hmm. I had my daughter and the doctor came, you know, came in after C-section, so you're doing very well, you're healing, you're healing right on right on point and and give me all these 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 positive outlooks on my healing process, but I can't feel none of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm in here, <laughs> like, like this, like exactly. But in that, and, right. and even in that healing process, they made me get up and walk. They make you get up and walk around because if you don't, if you just lie there in that pain, you have clotting, yes. you have all these things. So yeah. what I'm hearing you say is, as you were going through this and you forced yourself to continue to go to the counseling. You were healing in this pain. Yep. Because had you not, had you not, had you stayed there, who knows what would would have come of you? Oh yeah, it it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been great. I I, I continued to go forward. Uh, I I still had, 
I actually battled with um, suicidal thoughts for almost 10 years. It wasn't an everyday thing. It definitely was a triggered yeah. thing that would happen or, you know, anytime I felt blocked or as if it looked like people were closing in on me type of this fear. It was a, it was something that would, and I've not been given clarity on that, how to communicate that yet, but I know God is going to give it to me because I do want to be able to express what that looked like. But I you're still was going though. I, I'm sorry. You're doing that now. You're expressing what it looks like because you even said how, as you were going through this, you were still your bubbly self. Yeah. You were still, so there's no look to suicide. There's no there look to not. Absolutely. So there's not. Absolutely. There's not. The very moment. Yeah. No one actually, believe it or not, a lot of people. So once I got out and, and immediately, you know, I just, my mindset was not right. I wasn't in a great space mentally because I, the decisions that I was making and things I was doing, but people still didn't believe my story though, because they saw red lipstick and they saw kind of putting on clothes every now and then and cracking jokes and things like that. It's almost as if society will force you into looking down because they suggest that if you're smiling, oh, nothing can be wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And if you're working a high powered in a high power position and you drive in a certain way, nothing can be wrong. That's so unfortunate. And I know that's something that will have to change, but I was moving along. So even though I was hurting and not expressing it, cause I, I, I didn't learn to verbalize what I was feeling until the latter years. So a lot of my stuff was emotional outburst, um, you know, being really, really late to things or not showing up to things or, you know, mood shifts, all that. But I still was going. I was yeah. taking a little training. I, I, you know, enrolled into, I realized like, okay, I, I'm a mom, but I'm also, I, I got this disruption going on. I don't know a lot. So I took like early childhood education classes. Okay. I was always taking something either online. If I would see something pop up online, personality quizzes, things like that. I just kind of, I, I needed to figure out who I am. I needed to figure out who am I? I'm here, I'm breathing, I'm alive, which was my greatest gratitude. I couldn't stay in the place of someone hurt me too long because of what was presently going on. Yeah. Even though in the present I was struggling financially, I didn't have a job, stuff was going wrong. It was something about the fact that I still had life. That was a big, that's a win. Like that's something to work with. That, Life to me says at any moment, this thing can change for better. Say that one more time. <laughs> Life means to me that at any moment, this thing can change for better. If I'm, a, if I'm alive, there's a, great, uh, there's a great chance that I can shift something. I can change something. And so again, no one gave me this. I have to say that this had to just come from that place of believing I'm not going to just be, the, I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be the woman that was assaulted in the Navy and no one cared and I got out and my story just was a disaster, the end. I didn't want that kind of the end. For sure. You know, and so, but things weren't just on the up and up. I tried things, it failed. You know, I tried things and it, you know, I'd embarrass myself so much. Yeah. But I kept trying. I absolutely kept trying. I attempted 
enrolled in college, you know, I was like, I'm gonna get my degree. And then it was so stressful for me. So I literally start, I, when I started college, I would go for, it felt like I would go for three months and then I stopped for six months. And then I go, and it was the, and now, but what was happening was you get people around you seeing the inconsistency. I was very inconsistent, but I was moving. So every time I went to school and I did well, and I was in there for three months, and then now I'm down and out, I'm too depressed to handle everything. And I got to quit. What I learned later on in the moment, I felt like a quitter. But now hindsight and why I want to be an advocate and I speak and I share as much as I do because I need everyone to know that even though you went for three months and you stopped for six, when you pick back up after that six month break, you don't start those three months over, baby. You pick up at that, that next level. But you don't see that because it looks like, dang it, I didn't finish. You know, Julianne went straight through and did well or this person did and I Mm-mm. we don't do I that was hard don't on myself. I was right. hard on myself but baby I'm, I'm all about grace now I'm all about no you're gonna you're gonna do the best you can for who you are right now and you know what Julianne may be flying through and that is a great job for her but she may she may not be struggling with what you're struggling with and so you okay. got to move according to where you are and sometimes we, we're so ready to be okay and be in a place and that's natural you we want to be okay but we want to rush it. My words to anyone is your process is necessary for it to go at the speed in which it's going. For your journey, for your purpose, everybody moves at a different rate. I went last year or maybe the year before to a PTSD retreat through the, that the Wounded Warriors were doing down in um, some area in Florida. And I got accepted to be able to go and do that. And it, so it was myself and 12 other ladies some of honestly a lot of the young ladies have not progressed a lot they they and 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 I say this because just hearing them share that when I was sharing like because I still had a just feel like I had a lot of work to do but as I was sharing they began to say to me they questioned whether or not I had a diagnosis of PTSD because what what they struggled with was, oh, she's actually getting out and she will talk to people. Some of them were just at a different, and I had to even at that place because they were, it was, it felt like I was being put on some kind of a pedestal. And I don't like that. I don't do pedestals, right? Because here's the thing, we're all suffering from the same thing. And I had to let them know we're just at different levels. That's right. We're just at a different level and different place. And then you'll get people comparing, well, I didn't necessarily go through something as bad as this person went through but i'm struggling worse no no we don't you don't want to do that either that's right your your process is happening exactly the way it's supposed to happen keep your focus on your process your journey because when it's time to shift you'll shift but if you try to move too quickly because you're ready to play catch up with someone else's journey you risked you risk setting yourself going you know spiraling out of control a little bit and I, I know that because I did that I did that when I started you know I was unemployed for a little while for a while actually and I finally got a opportunity to start working in 2012 and while I had been working on myself still no counselor no therapy outside of being in the military that job opportunity I began to make that my answer that was my fix 
So I started to get in this mode of, okay, I got to be professional now. And I just got to, and it was a cover-up for me for a very long time. Um, but only for a short period, like I could, I could only hide it a little bit. People were able to see that I kind of was a little standoffish. They were able to see, I didn't realize until I, cause I'd had male, female supervisors up mm -hmm. until I ended up being transferred to another location where there was a male supervisor. Okay. And that was a problem for me. And I said, uh-oh. But trigger. I tried to hide it. Tr definitely a trigger. And so things started to pop up. And I, I remember getting getting mad because I'm thinking, you're, you're fine. You know, like I had made myself feel that I was okay because I'm working and I'm in the flow and things are nowhere near as worse as, as they had been. So when I was triggered by this issue from having this now new male supervisor, I got mad at myself. Mm -hmm. oh there you go you know you I started to attack me yeah but it after a while I had to sit with me and say no that's the sore spot and that's okay you you, you gotta you gotta talk with somebody mm -hmm. and it's okay you know and so I had to I had been on this anti-therapist trip really because I think I was looking for that therapist vibe that I had, had with the lady in the military yeah and what I had encountered through the VA had felt more like, not even felt like, it's a reality. It's a, it's a checkbox with that experience too sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so look, thankfully for me, because I had experienced this woman whom I know God put her there, I now had a measurement for what this therapy, what this should feel like. Sure, yeah. And so I went through about four different therapists and it was just like, no. But again, what here's the thing, and I know people struggle with therapy because you have uh, now a diagnosis and you're going to try and attempt these therapists, even though you know and you're feeling like this isn't right, your mind or either the people around you will make you feel like, no, it's just your mind. Yeah. What you think you're seeing is not really there. Yeah. And that was still, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go with what I think. It doesn't, I don't feel connected with these people. So not knowing how to trust yourself because now you don't know what's the trauma mm -hmm. and what is reality. Mm -hmm. That was exhausting because you don't know. And, but here's what I want to say to someone who's in it. You just got to go with it. You might be wrong. It may be your trauma, but if it, if you feeling like, okay, you're uncomfortable, and you back away from it, keep what, what the best thing to keep it front is that, but I'm gonna go at it again. Maybe not with the same therapist, but I said to myself, I said, I, when I got ready to try that therapy thing again, I said, I don't care how many I have to go through. That's right. I'm gonna get myself some help. I'm gonna just get, I'm just gonna try to get myself some help. And I just started to pray that I get connected with someone. And so I did finally in 2012, after connecting, first of all, I knew she was my person because she she introduced herself by sharing her own experience. And so that was that relatable and, and you yeah. want that. When you've been through some things, you wanna know you can sit in front of someone that's not perfect. That's right. That kinda has had some, yeah. And so um, that was that, she was very bold, strong lady that I could tell was, was gonna be in my corner. And through after about a year in therapy with her, I I got so it was rough, 
for a minute, but I was so excited that I started to trust her now after a year. And it started to feel like somebody's really in my corner. So now that push for that I had for myself, it elevated. Yeah. Now I wanted to do more. And so that's when I enrolled to get my bachelor's degree in human relations and counseling. Added that knowledge, that education. It wasn't even about landing a job in that field or anything. It was about, I need to know what I'm dealing with, how to deal with, how to communicate what I'm feeling and all of that. It's just been a long journey, still an ongoing journey. My, my, my latest thing is learning to ask for help, <laughs> learning to ask for help and just be patient, you know, and, um, you know, here we are, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling forward. So we're going to shift real quick because now <laughs> you are a business owner. You are a keynote speaker. You are everything. When you look, when I look at you, mm-hmm. just like I look at you and I look at what you've done and what the Lord has allowed you to create, excuse me. You would have never known. You would never guess right. that that's your story. So now, how did you make that shift to be this business owner, this keynote speaker? What made you say, you know what? I need to really get out there and help others. What was that thing for you? Or property, was there- man- property management. While I was in property management, that was a job. There's tons of residents. I, I ended up working with two ladies that were really, really great with the numbers, the books, the behind the scenes things, but they just kind of didn't have that people piece, right? And so what happened, even though they were in a more of a supervisor position, they had kind of on a number of times tried to deal with residents that were having issues or going through something and I'd see, okay, they didn't say that right or whatever, or let me give it a try. And when they saw how... I was able to kind of communicate with residents. And again, I'm coming from my own just experience now of like, oh, you know what? The tone is probably off. There may be something they're struggling with. Let's shift that. So they delegated me to be this child. I was supposed to just be leasing apartments, but I ended up being like the mediator for the property (laughs) for resident issues. Okay. And so... I kind of started, I I think I've always been that person that would pop in and can kind of mediate just naturally anyway, but property management offered me the opportunity to kind of do that more and more. And as I began to like travel to different locations, different personality types, and I started to hear the, are you a coach or have you thought about being a coach? Are you a therapist or have you thought about being a therapist? What is, how are you able to do these things? And I hadn't, I wasn't aware of anything, but my experience was coming out, the education was coming out, and um, I liked property management, though. It was fun. It, it did allow me to still, like I said, cover up some of my shortcomings, okay. but I was pushed out of that industry uh, after being hit by a drunk driver in 2018, and um, kind of was forced out a little bit, and it was just clear to me that, you know what, honestly, someone said to me on the job one day you're you're hiding you're hiding there's much more for you to do you don't get to because I I started to be very open about sharing what I've been through not just like okay hey everybody listen to me but in trying to encourage other people I just openly share be vulnerable so someone said to me one day you're just hiding you're in property management to hide God has more for you to do for people. You, you've got to find a way to get out and get your voice out there or whatever. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to get out there and make what I'm making now. So I put it off for a while, but after that accident and surviving that, 
that was yeah. just it as a matter of fact a week or two before that accident i remember telling someone i've been through just about everything but i've never been in a car wreck i can t it's not a joke it's not funny but it's like ooh, be careful what you say and so it was something about that that was just like okay i yeah. if i'm still here i have something more to do besides pushing numbers and that's where i say i i don't i don't, I don't push numbers anymore i push people you know and so i've not even i've i've spoken a number of places i've kept my balance has been important for me right okay. so i can say i've intentionally not allowed myself to be out too much because I did have a baby last year and and honestly the car accident was a trigger for me so I did have to recover a lot from that I actually had to go back into some therapy um and then after that I, I got pregnant and so I dealt with postpartum depression so I've kind of kept myself a little bit you know as I feel led to, to release it but now is the time to really go forward and so I'm just I'm I'm going I'm I'm moving about sharing i'm available to share i'm so grateful you reached out to do this um I, honestly i just know i hear god saying this is what you have to do sometimes i sit and i'm still like okay but what's the rest and how do i and what do i just go Let's i've go. just been going and wherever i'm supposed to listen to me when you're living in purpose on purpose it is going to make way for you. That's, there's nothing you can do differently. What we have to do is align our lives. I knew that my greatest responsibility because of the fact that I am a coach was that I had to do my own work. I've, I've experienced or talked with people that have been hurt by broken coaches or therapists or whatever. I, I didn't want to be in that number. So I continue to do my work, you know, and um I think I shared that I completed the trauma recovery program through the VA uh, yeah. during the pandemic, which was very tough, very, very, very tough. But my responsibility and what I know on purpose to do, it, it was a requirement that I dig a little deeper into some areas. Mm -hmm. You yeah, know, so. go ahead. I think I cut you off. Please go ahead. No, no, no. That was it. I just, I just wanted to really clean my own self i wanted to make sure i found my i don't believe that you can be a help to anyone obviously until you help yourself and again there were some little things that i could still see that wouldn't actually direct a coaching uh assign a uh, process but the uh, integrity that i walk in mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. said i have to deal with these things before branding myself so i i just officially branded myself um and put started putting things out this year because we're gonna talk about that because i want one of those shirts and i want you to talk about okay. those shirts and i need i need about a couple of them but when you okay. say coaching when i thought about it see it's so important because your coach has played on a field that he's training others to go on exactly so if you're out here coaching you've been on that field you know with that terrain all so well and so Absolutely. somebody may be on that field and may not know which way to turn, which way to go. But as that coach, okay, listen, if you go continue to go this way, this is what's going to happen. Absolutely. And so, you know, we, we hear this thing all the time, you know, that the chips may, may be down, but see, the chips are not down. We control those chips. That's true. We control that by getting the help that we need, by speaking exactly. up, by being our own advocate. 
That's right. By saying, you will not mistreat me. You will, no one has the right to even touch you. That's no right. No one has the right to respect you in that way. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to stand up for yourself. And you, and you certainly have done that. And yeah. I'm definitely going to bring you back because you talked about the purpose, the fighting for your purpose, the importance of yeah. fighting for your purpose. But you said something yesterday when we spoke and you talked about the first time, no, the beginning of kindness. I had to write that down. The beginning of seeing kindness. So I want to bring you back because I really want you to share that story. Absolutely. I would love to share that. I need you to share that because someone yeah. is definitely, uh, they needed this and they're going to need to hear that as well. Absolutely. But first, I want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you thank for you. speaking you. up. Uh, and right now, I believe you've helped so many people. And what I've noticed about you and some other guests I've had, you all don't shy away from your belief in God at all. I no. noticed after you spoke about what happened, you said, but you know, but God was in every step. It, it may not felt like it. That's right. <laughs> but he was right there. Right there. So, the entire time walking with you. So a couple of things. How can folks find you? Where can they find you? Your website? How can they reach out to you? Please share that. So my website is going to be www.pmoneintuition.com. That's P-M-O-N-A-E, spell the word intuition.com. On Instagram, it's at pmoneintuition. And I'm on Facebook at pmonehugley, H-U-G-H-L-E-Y is the last name. So that's where I am right now. Hopefully I'll be getting a YouTube channel set up and a number of other things I have in mind. Um, I do have that t-shirt. That I'm working on, which I'm trying to get that exactly right. I, I can't, it means so much to me. Uh, some people are like, it's just a t-shirt. No, it's, we're talking about healing right here. This is very precious and sacred to me and I want it to be right. And so I also have a children's book as well that kind of speaks a little bit about that healing piece. Um, and that's called Not So Green. So, but all of that can be found on my website. The t-shirt can be purchased on the website along with a hoodie, a jacket with the love the heal out of me. And then the um, the children's book. Awesome. And I'm going to tag you on all this as I upload everything so folks will be able to find you easy. Okay. And I'm not, I'm, I really want what I'm serious. I'm going to keep saying that. I want to serve. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You're definitely, gonna, you're, you're definitely going to get one. I, I, when you, when I messaged with you earlier, I was at a, a printing shop. I actually went and picked up a bulk of shirts yesterday. Okay. But I'm so meticulous about the things that God gives me to do. And, and it doesn't look, it doesn't look, it, it, it looks fine maybe to someone, but there's a vision that God gave me and exactly how that should look, color and everything. And so I'm only going to produce just what, what, what that is. So once I get, well, I got it. Actually, while we were texting, they finalized a sample shirt for me at a new location. And so we're going to go forward with them for production. And, you know, as soon as that website is released, it should be finalized today, that shop option. Then we'll okay. be ready to roll, but I'll get a shirt to you for sure. Awesome. But don't I go anywhere. I, hey, I appreciate you. Don't go anywhere. But everyone, okay. thank you all so much for tuning in to Brothers Echo. And as always, thank you. And more importantly, live this life for an audience of two. And that's God and you always. Take care. Any parting words, ma'am? No, guys, just live on purpose. Live on purpose, heal, advocate for yourselves, be free all day.